Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Zwans, and today is Friday of the 10th week in Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. To prepare ourselves, let us acknowledge our sins. I confess to Almighty God and and to you, my brothers and sisters, that that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. O God, from whom all good things come, grant that we, who call on you in our need, may at your prompting discern what is right, and by your guidance do it. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the first book of Kings. When Elijah reached Horeb, the mountain of God, he went into the cave and spent the night in it. Then he was told, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. Then the Lord himself went by. There came a mighty wind so strong it tore the mountains and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind came an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there came the sound of a gentle breeze. And when Elijah heard this, he covered his face with his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then a voice came to him, which said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I am filled with jealous zeal for the Lord of hosts, because the sons of Israel have deserted you, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to the sword. I am the only one left, and they want to kill me. Go, the Lord said, go back by the same way to the wilderness of Damascus. You are to go and anoint Hazael as king of Aram. You are to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king of Israel and to anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, as prophet to succeed you. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I long to see your face, O Lord. I long to see your face, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice when I call. Have mercy and answer. Of you my heart has spoken. Seek his face. I long to see your face, O Lord. It is your face, O Lord, that I seek. Hide not your face. Dismiss not your servant in anger. You have been my help. 
I long to see your face, O Lord. I am sure I shall see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Hope in him, hold firm and take heart. Hope in the Lord. I long to see your face, O Lord. Alleluia, Alleluia. Shine on the world like bright stars. You are offering it the word of life. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, You have learnt how it was said you must not commit adultery. But I say this to you. If a man looks at a woman lustfully, he has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye should cause you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it will do you less harm to lose one part of you than to have your whole body thrown into hell. And if your right hand should cause you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it will do you less harm to lose one part of you than to have your whole body go to hell. It has also been said, Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a writ of dismissal. But I say this to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except for the case of fornication, makes her an adulteress, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, you've all heard the Gospel. I'm thinking you can probably guess the theme of this homily. So, you know, if you're in the car with the kids or whatever and, uh, you know, you want to avoid a few awkward questions that kids might not be ready for, maybe scrub forward to the Our Father. If you go to 16 minutes and 41 seconds, you'll get there. I was having a drink with a fellow priest um, a couple of years ago now and uh, he dropped a line on me that, you know... It's a bit stereotypical. He, he said that the church is obsessed with sex. And, I mean, I didn't challenge him at the time, but I thought to myself, what a load of garbage. I mean, when's the last time you heard a homily on sexuality? Now, I mean, you know, that, that, that's not to, you know, throw other priests on the bu- under the bus. I mean, homilies are not really ideal times. I mean, you know, you've got kids in the church and, you know, some of them might not be ready for the kinds of conversations that ensue as a consequence. And you might have some pretty unhappy parents who don't want to have a whole bunch of questions on the ride home after Mass. But the opportunity to discuss these kinds of questions with the faithful arise so seldomly that you could pretty much say, never. So, I don't know, maybe what the priest meant was that the church is obsessed with sex in her teachings. And, you know, it's true that the church has got some pretty clear teachings on on sexuality. But hang on a sec. But shouldn't she? I mean, firstly, Jesus does. I mean, we'll get into the gospel in a sec, but I mean, this this is pretty clear. But think about it. Why wouldn't there be a lot of guidance for us in the area of sexuality for the simple reason that it's so important. I mean, it's the foundation of the family. It's where kids come from. It's the gateway of new life. And, you know, it's the most privileged bodily expression of the marriage bond, that reality that says, I'm yours and, and you're mine, and our, our lives and our futures are, are tied together in a bond of love and joy. You know, it's an area of such nobility and beauty, that we're going to have to work hard to maintain that beauty and to defend its nobility. 
But let's look at the other side of the coin as well. What happens when it goes wrong? It becomes a disaster. An unmoderated sexual desire can blow your life up and the life of those around you, those who you love and care about. And look at what infidelity does to marriage. Look at what abuse does to those who suffer at the hands of the sexual desires of others. And when you stop and think about abortion, it literally is a life and death matter. So, you know, I'm not so sure that the church is actually obsessed with sex, but, you know, if she's got a few things to say about it, if Jesus has got a few things to say about it, I think maybe it's because there's good reason. Now, of course, you know, this little homily, it, it, it's not going to cover everything, right? Um, but I would like to look at the gospel and, and have, you know, just sort of dip the toe in a little bit and, and, and see what it is that the Lord Jesus is pointing towards in this really important gospel. So we start off with this really familiar format that Jesus has been teaching in. You've heard how it was said, but I say to you. And so Jesus says, you've heard how it was said, you must not commit adultery. But I say this to you, if a man looks at a woman lustfully, he has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, first off, let me say what I think Jesus is not saying. I think he's not saying that only married men can look lustfully at women. I don't think that's what he means by the word adultery here, that, you know, only if you're married does it mean that the lustful gaze becomes a problem. No, I I think here it's a question now about what our sexual desire is actually ordered toward. Because there's a distinction being made here, right, between lust on the one hand and love on the other. And bear in mind, I'm, I'm pulling all of this from Pope John Paul II's Theology of the Body. But, you know, he makes the point that, look, love, love is about making a total gift of oneself to the other. And, and it's, it's that love which is expressed in marriage, right, which says, I'm yours and, and you're mine. You know, I belong entirely to you and, and you belong to me. We belong to each other that, you know, we're a communion of two persons and what we share is our life and our future together. Which means that when I look at you, I have a similar experience to Adam when he first beheld Eve. That, you know, in a moment of ecstatic joy, I say, you at last are are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. You're another me. You're another someone. And in you, I found the one who I serve. The one to whom I can pour out my life in love. But, you know, after Adam and Eve, they, you know... Eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And and what do they do? They hide. Firstly, from God, but secondly, also from each other. They cover their nakedness because now there's something in the gaze of the other that doesn't simply see a someone, but a something. And I'm not a something. I'm not to be treated as an object. And so both Adam and Eve cover their nakedness in order to protect themselves from the gaze of the other. And I think here we see something of the distinction between love and lust. That love is what says, I'm for you. That my life is is to be poured out for you. And isn't this what Jesus says to his disciples? You know, that greater love hath no man than to 
lay down his life for his friends. But what's lust on the other hand? It's that tragic tendency that we have to say to the other, no, actually, you're for me. And the direction gets inverted. Instead of love being a gift, now lust is about possession. Instead of me finding the goal of my action in you, I now find the goal of my action in me and you're the good instrument that helps me achieve what it is that I'm really looking for. So now we see something familiar coming up in the gospel where, where Jesus says, look, you've heard how it was said you shall not commit adultery. But, but where does adultery come from? It doesn't just start there. It starts from lust. It starts from a sexual desire that looks toward the other as a something as opposed to a someone. And so says Jesus, like, well, well, that's what we've got to take in hand. That's what we've got to moderate. We've got to moderate the lustful gaze. That we've got to turn what in our sexual desire is lustful and order it toward love. Now, here's the thing, right? So Jesus goes on to say, you know, if you're right, I should cause you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to lose part of you than to have your whole body thrown into hell. Now, I, I think this is really the point where the Lord goes, look, guys, I know that this is really difficult. Because the fact is, is that, you know, in our own sexual desire, there's, there's really... A, a struggle. There really is a challenge in ordering this towards love. And sometimes what we're going to have to do is to order our sexual desire towards love when we would be tempted to turn the other into a something. And sometimes I think this is going to feel like losing a bit of ourselves. But, says Jesus, what's the alternative you end up in hell. Now, I, I don't want to, you know, downplay the eternal consequences of, you know, immoderate sexual activity, but, but I don't think you only end up in hell once you're dead. I think you can end up in a figurative hell while you're living. Like I mentioned before, I, I think lust can really blow up our lives and, and do it pretty seriously and significantly. I mean, you know, People who get addicted to pornography and they end up watching it at work and then they get fired and then they have to face their families and we've had a whole parade of Me Too offenders, of people who gave their sexuality over to lust and certainly anything but love. And my gosh, doesn't the church have first-hand experience of how destructive sexuality can be when it's not ordered towards love? It's a special kind of hell. And it sucks people in like a vortex. So says Jesus, look, it's, it's not just about avoiding adultery as the external expression of lust. No, deal with the lustful gaze. Deal with that tendency within ourselves to view the other as an object. You see, that's what needs redeeming. But I think there's an important fact here as well. That this isn't about the avoidance of hell. But this is actually about the apprehension of heaven. That when our sexual desire is ordered toward love, it brings us to true joy and to, and to happiness. 
The husband who isn't held captive by his lust towards other women isn't spending his day trying not to commit adultery. You know, he's free and he loves his wife. And his life isn't a great big no, his life is a great big yes, because what he truly desires is good. But it's a struggle, and it's, it's a bit messy, but the battle here is interior. And so we ask the Lord to help us, and we cooperate with his grace so that our own sexual desire might be ordered not toward lust, but toward the gift of self and true love. At the Saviour's command, and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Let us welcome Christ into our hearts with an act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. And we finish by praying Pope Francis's prayer to Mary during the coronavirus pandemic. O Mary, you shine continuously on our journey as a sign of salvation and hope. We entrust ourselves to you, health of the sick. At the foot of the cross, you participated in Jesus' pain with steadfast faith. You, salvation of the Roman people, know what we need. We are certain that you will provide, so that as you did in Cana of Galilee, joy and feasting might return after this moment of trial. Help us, Mother of Divine Love, to conform ourselves to the Father's will and to do what Jesus tells us. He who took our sufferings upon himself and bore our sorrows to bring us through the cross to the joy of the resurrection. Amen. We seek refuge under your protection, O Holy Mother of God. Do not despise our pleas we who are put to the test, and deliver us from every danger, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.